We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the precious decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton. Along with me on this journey of revisiting 80s movies is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Listen, Bill, and understand, that Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop. Ever until you are dead. That's right, listeners. We are very excited to be discussing with spoilers aplenty the 1984 sci-fi action movie The Terminator from the Hemdale Film Corporation and Pacific Western Productions, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, and Michael Biehn. It was distributed by Ryan Pictures. Written and directed by James Cameron, this movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 47 minutes. This episode marks our 100th movie we have covered on this podcast. Congratulations, Jason, and thank you, listeners, who have followed us on this journey so far. Woo! Congratulations, Bill Bant. A milestone. Yes, a big one indeed. So, what is this movie about? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is, what's on the box? Take it away, Jason. In the year of darkness, 2029, the rulers of this planet devised the ultimate plan. They will reshape the future by changing the past. The plan requires something that feels no pity, no pain, no fear. They create the Terminator. A brilliant flash of light and an ear-splitting explosion mark the arrival of the Terminator, a cyborg, part man, part machine, sent to present-day Earth from the future on a deadly mission. His task? To kill a young woman whose life will have great significance in the decades to come. The mechanical monster from the future leaves behind him an unspeakable path of destruction. Nothing can stop the horrific Terminator. The Terminator... So that was what's on the box. Indeed. Well, that was a fun blurb to read, man. And because it's really very general. So it will be up to us to really get into the storyline of this sci-fi classic, just iconic and tremendous proportions. This is just one of the best. And what a way to celebrate our 100th episode, Bill Bant. Congratulations again. Can you believe it that we made it this far? That would be a big no. And the fact that people are listening to us, that we keep cranking out these episodes is also amazing in itself. And just thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy. Hopefully at some point we'll be doing 200, 300, 400, etc. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Here's to the next 100. Small step in the big journey. (laughs) There you go. 
And uh, yeah, we couldn't do this without our listeners. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. We appreciate you all. All right, so let's move on to our earliest memories of The Terminator. Jason, as always, start us off. All right. Man, this is exciting. Ah, this is a seminal film for me. This is uh, during my formative years of just being a, a budding filmmaker, actor, uh, creative. This means a lot to me, so I, I'm ready to get into it. My earliest memory of The Terminator is that I was scared of it. I had just turned 11 years old when it came out, and it just looked really scary to me. I remember either seeing a trailer here or there but also seeing the cover of the VHS box at the video store. And there was the image of this hulking figure with dark sunglasses and a gun. And obviously he's a bad, bad man. So I took that imagery and made an assumption that this was just a straight up horror film. The VHS box made it look like a horror film. The title made it sound like a horror film. And I've stated this many times on this very podcast. I've never been a huge fan of horror films, especially not in my early youth. I don't like slasher films. I don't like gore. And although I knew there was a sci-fi aspect to this that was intriguing, I recall not just knowing that I was too young for this R-rated movie, but feeling like I was feeling, actually feeling like I was too young and being a little intimidated by this movie that I imagined would have a ton of violence. Of course it does. But if I'm being honest, I assumed it wouldn't be that great. It looked a little cheeseball from the VHS box as well. I just didn't have enough information about this movie. So I do realize now that I had not been exposed to many different categories of sci-fi at that age. I was familiar with Star Wars, Star Trek, the space opera, and fantasy sci-fi. And I knew a little bit of the dystopian sci-fi from Blade Runner. And I saw many of the ripoffs in between of these classic sci-fi films that I had seen. But not other subsets of the genre, like horror sci-fi or military sci-fi or hard sci-fi. I had seen some classics uh, with my dad, like the old black and white films, like things like the, the Day the Earth Stood Still. But the old movies didn't scare me, and I simply wouldn't be exploring the horror genre or thriller sci-fi genre until I was a few years older. So I put off watching this film, The Terminator, until most likely the, the later 80s, and then saw it finally on VHS. By that time, I was more familiar with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'll tell you what, as soon as the movie started and the opening text came up in this dystopian future world setting, and I heard Brad Fidel's score followed by the title credit sequence. I was in all the way. I had no idea it was going to be this cool. So I remember being immediately enamored with the concept, a killer cyborg traveling through time to wipe out the mother who would give birth to the leader of the resistance in the future, and the hero traveling back in time as well to destroy that cyborg and thus save the future resistance, which would prevent a world takeover by machines powered by artificial intelligence. Yeah, sweet. What an idea, man. Thus, I was a fan, and I would quote this movie, what, maybe a thousand trillion million times all the way up to present day. I mean, there's, of course, the one and only famous, most iconic line. It's definitely one of the most iconic lines in cinematic history, and that is Arnold Schwarzenegger's reading of the line, I'll be back. I mean, what else can you say? I loved the character of Kyle Reese, played by Michael Bean. And when I played Battletech in downtown Chicago as a high schooler teenager, that's the alias I used, Kyle Reese. I used to quote Kyle Reese in the interrogation room scene or from that interrogation room scene, you know, 
why am I talking to you? Who is an authority here? I would say that all the time to my friends. And then, of course, there's the scene when the T-800 goes to the gun store to stock up. The T-800 being the Terminator model that Arnold Schwarzenegger is portraying. And he says things like, phase plasma rifle in a 40 watt range. And you hear the guy, the guy behind the counter say, hey, only what you see, pal, or Sarah Connor. And on and on and on. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our good friend Marwan, who always quotes this film, referring to one of the final lines of the movie. He actually literally just texted this to us in a group thread not too long ago. The, viene una tormenta. A storm is coming. I know. He loves that quote. It's a, almost a Marwanism. Anyway, I fell in love with the idea of this unstoppable killing machine and the idea behind its mission and how badass and formidable Schwarzenegger looked in the leather jacket and the sunglasses. I mean, being a young boy, I remember the love scene between Sarah and Kyle Reese. I mean, I remember the boobs. I remember having a crush on Sarah's roommate in this movie and being jealous that she was hooking up with that guy who had a small part in Top Gun. And of course, I loved the special effects, no matter how cheesy in certain moments, because I was totally invested in this story as a kid. I mean, that's an early memory. I just bought it hook, line, and sinker. I bought that the T-800 exoskeleton was real with these glowing red eyes and was incredible and frightening. I mean, I nerded out on this. I always wanted to know more. I'm a fan of the mythology and lore, and the detail put into this story fascinated me. This was a different type of sci-fi thriller horror It was intricate. It was thought out. This was really smart. So yeah, I wanted more, not knowing, of course, that I would get plenty more and soon. My earliest memory was that this was just a powerful and impactful movie for me. It still is. I had the poster on my wall, or walls, I should say. I would take it with me wherever I lived for a long time, and I think this movie broke down some walls for me. Now knowing that there were so many different sci-fi stories to tell, it expanded the whole universe for me. When I was young, I would consistently put it in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. And I recall thinking at that time, even though this movie did somewhat well, I was surprised it wasn't even a bigger movie within mainstream culture at that time. So this movie is a big deal for me, and I have a, a real nostalgic attachment to it. What about you, Bill Bant? Some earliest memories of The Terminator. Yeah, looking back on The Terminator, I think the thing I kind of found surprising when I was coming up with earliest memories was I don't remember any kind of hype about this movie when it came out. I had no idea anything about it until it was finally released in theaters. And the first I really heard about it was there used to be a show, I think it was a syndicated show, and they would do a top 10 or top 20 music countdown. And at the end of the show, they would do the top five movies from the box office. And I remember them saying, oh, the Terminator, number one again this week at the box office. I'm like, Terminator, what is that? And they would show a couple images of the movie. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is. I never I never heard of it. And I just kind of let it go. And then come Thanksgiving, I'd mentioned this before, my uncle, my Uncle David. Like when he sees a movie that he loves, he makes sure everybody knows about it. And he had seen the Terminator and he could not stop talking about it during Thanksgiving. And he was doing this whole thing where he was just emphasizing like this thing never stopped and it just keeps going and going and going. And his enthusiasm is is very infectious. And that's what I always loved about him. Like if he would talk sports or movies, he was very detailed about it. If the Phillies weren't doing well. 
He wouldn't be just like, oh, you got to fire the manager. Like he would explain like everything the manager had done wrong up to that point to why he should get fired. I was like, oh, he would be so good on talk shows as the caller in, like the expert caller in about what's going on with things. So when he mentioned the movie you needed to see, it was always on your radar, like I should go see it. But then even when it came out on video, it took a long time for me to even rent it because Again, it wasn't really something in my wheel. I didn't really know who Schwarzenegger was and especially didn't know who Linda Hamilton or Michael Bean were or James. Like, I didn't know who any of those people were. And then it eventually got rented. And then I was just so amazed with the movie. And the thing I really took away from it was you didn't know who to root for. Terminator was so cool. Like, you knew he needed to be stopped. But he was cool, so you were kind of rooting for him. But at the same time, you want Reese and Sarah to get away. So it was kind of interesting. Was you really liked both sides of the story. And then just the whole story of it, too, is just someone's coming from the future where the world is basically destroyed and uh, mankind may end. And this one person who is going to birth the leader of the future. And what? She's a waitress. She drives around in a scooter. So... That kind of fascinated me, and I, I certainly fell in love with the movie. Loved the futuristic aspects of it, all the crazy ships and the lasers, and you would see like Mad Max and stuff like that, but you, but you wouldn't see the future like this. So I thought that was kind of cool, and it always kind of stuck with me. And uh, yeah, it certainly became one of my favorite movies of the 80s. Really looking forward to discussing this. Oh, man, it's great stuff. And I love the story about your uncle just like freaking out about the fact that just film features this unstoppable killing machine. And it's funny because I think about it and it really is a credit to Schwarzenegger. And I'll, I'll give a lot of credit to the actors here momentarily in this film because they have to carry the suspension of disbelief of this story because it is high concept and it has a real element of that hard sci-fi. It's something I had not seen on the screen before and I unfortunately didn't read a lot of sci-fi novels. I just wasn't that big of a reader as a kid. So I I wasn't as familiar with hard sci-fi. And I'm this film is not completely hard sci-fi, but just the concept, as you mentioned, Bill, the idea of there's the time travel and you kind of have to pay attention to the details. And it, it, there's a lot of details. It's really well thought out. And there's some cool stuff with the futuristic, the vision of our, our future in this film. So, yeah, plenty to delve into here. Looking forward to it. All right. So let's uh, dive into our initial thoughts. What are our initial thoughts of The Terminator? Yeah, man, it was fun to read. I, I just was looking forward to seeing this again. I've seen this film numerous times. I think you and I had joked outside of this podcast of the fact that we probably wouldn't need to rewatch it because we knew it like the back of our hands. But yeah, it still was great to revisit. And I never, ever hesitate to uh, turn this on and, and watch it all the way through. It's one of the most rewatchable sci-fi films of all time for me. And as again, as I had mentioned, when those opening credits just start, I'm not kidding, Bill. It gives me chills. It gives me chills because I, I've seen it a million times and I'm just such a big fan of film scores. And so when this dystopian future appears on the screen and it's bleak and it's dark and it's barren and we get the image of the hunter killer patrol ships either flying or crawling across the screen and with the lasers shooting and then we get the text and we understand that the machines have taken over and it's the year 2029 and then all of a sudden it gets very quiet 
And it's giving me chills right now because then you hear the iconic heart-thumping Brad Fidel score, that identifiable... And that's it. It's just, that's how it begins. And then the credits, the the actual title, The Terminator, starts crossing the screen as we get the actual credits that roll over on top of that. And I will watch that opening credit sequence the whole time. Not just the, the boom, 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 but then the main theme that kicks in as well. And Brad Fidel's score. It's mechanical in nature. It's methodical, just like the Terminator. It's a hell of a way to start the movie. You know, this is the first. This is the beginning. And it just starts off right away. It's like this cool, hard sci-fi. But it just reminded me that this movie has such a specific tone and a specific feel. And it makes me feel a certain way that none of the other Terminator films in this franchise make me feel. Doesn't mean the other films are bad, necessarily. We'll probably get into that a little bit later in discussion. But this first one has a little darker, grittier tone. And this is what I like about this story. It does have a horror element. It is frightening. And it has such an edge. So... Here's another initial thought, just getting right into the beginning of the movie. I just want to shout out some of our very minor characters in the beginning of this film, especially the garbage man and the bum in the alley. I love the mumblings of our minor characters. It's just always made me laugh. You have the garbage man who's driving his garbage truck and all of a sudden it just turns off. The engine shuts down as our Terminator has traveled through time and we see the sparks and electric flares going off as Schwarzenegger shows up, a naked Schwarzenegger. But you got the garbage man just dealing with his truck that won't work, just going, what the hell, goddamn son of a bitch. (laughs) Oh, that always cracks me up. And then you get the bum in the alley later on when Reese shows up. uh, He does his time travel, and he shows up in a a bolt of lightning, basically. And you hear the bum in the alley just like mumbling, I don't have to put up with that bullshit, man. Hey, buddy, did you just see a real bright light? (laughs) And then Reese takes off with his pants, and that son of a bitch took my pants. That always puts a smile on my face. Upon rewatch, here's an initial thought. Kyle Reese's introduction, that being Michael Bean, the actor. Man, when he comes through like that time portal and this rewatch today, the, his appearance is even more impactful than Schwarzenegger's now. Maybe it's because I've just seen the, million, uh, the movie a million times. Yes, when Schwarzenegger shows up, he's incredible. He's a behemoth. He's just this statuesque, carved from stone, like muscular monster and extremely impressive. But there's a realism when you see Kyle Reese just kind of appear out of midair and just slam to the cement. Oh, yeah. And he's just in pain from the process and you hear him grunting and he can barely stand. He's getting up and he's acclimating from the time jump and you're like, Oh, that's, see, that's smart filming. That's cool. It's like, okay, I'm in. It's not just like he appeared out of thin air and like, here I am. Let's get to the mission. It's like, this is a struggle for him. Very cool. That jumped out to me, this watch. This also jumped out to me, Bill Benton. I think you can appreciate this as a young filmmaker when we would shoot things, especially in film school at the University of Miami. I'm watching Schwarzenegger when he pulls up in a station wagon and steps out and you have Cameron... James Cameron, the director that is, would put the camera below Schwarzenegger, aiming up, looking up at him to make him even more awesome and formidable looking. And I was thinking, what if the music wasn't there? 
how cheesy this must look or appear, where it's Schwarzenegger, who's now in borrowed clothes at this point. He's just a big bodybuilder looking very serious and just kind of staring off into the distance and walking around and how goofy that must seem. But you just have to know and trust that it's going to work when the music is there and when the setup is there. And now, you know, we've already seen him appear from the future and we know that he is a Terminator. But still, I just really applaud James Cameron and his vision for this and knowing that it would work and trusting that would work. Because even though he had technically directed Piranha 2, and this is technically his second directorial effort, he still knew to directing. I mean, he's still very young. And it just makes me think of when we would shoot things and it's all about suspension of disbelief. Is this going to work or isn't it? Because this could have easily not worked and come off really, really silly. I appreciate there is a rawness in this movie, but it works for the location where it's shot, the genre, and Cameron just knew it was going to work. When he knew when all the elements were put together, because he is a technical master, uh, he knew it would work, and it did. So I'll never forget uh, the first time I saw that scene when the Terminator takes out the first Sarah Connor. Absolutely brutal when he knocks on the door and then slams it open and just puts six bullets in her with the laser sighting on the long slide. It's just absolutely awful, but that was really impactful. I love that first flashback sequence that Reese has when he's uh, sitting in a car that he's about to steal. And it's a good thing nobody noticed that Reese had hot-wired their car while he was taking a nap in it. Just wanted to mention that. I love all the flashbacks in this to that. They're flashbacks, but they're actually a vision of the dystopian future where we get Kyle Reese in the future. And it's just dark, horrific conditions, but there's a lot of thought and detail put into that. You know, like I said, this is technically James Cameron's second directorial effort. And I was looking for his signature style as a director in this. And artistically, it's hard to see anything specific for me. It's funny, but it's just a solid premise. And the action is solidly directed. And I have to say, I give him credit for the way he directs his actors, because a lot of the weight of the suspension of disbelief is on their shoulders their reading of the lines, of the technical jargon. The actors absolutely have to sell this. Schwarzenegger's wonderful as the Terminator. It's not just because of his physical presence, but he does a great job in his movement. He moves like a cyborg in certain moments, and he just is very stoic and rigid at times. And you believe that there is a mechanical exoskeleton underneath that layer of skin. And Reese and his desperation and his attempt to protect Sarah is just, I mean, Michael Bean, what can you say? He's wonderful. Linda Hamilton, just playing the absolute disbelief at the situation she's found herself in. Wonderful. Uh, you buy it because of their performances. Give some credit to Cameron for directing them very well. Speaking of actors, great supporting cast in this. I love Paul Winfield, Lance Henriksen, Rick Rosovich. We get such a great appearance by the late Bill Paxton. And I'm just going to shout out Earl Bowen, who plays uh, Dr. Silberman in this. He was our Hey, It's That actor from 9 to 5, I believe. Yep. And uh, here's another initial thought, a little spoiler alert. I thought it was a bold choice to kill off Kyle Reese at the end of this film. I just really appreciated that choice. Didn't have to do that. And it's still upsetting to watch him die at the end of this. I love that character. Uh, In my opinion... To be completely honest, in watching this movie today, this movie's major flaw is the dated special effects. The effects were ahead of their time. They were advanced at the time. But watching it today, 
It's a flaw. Yeah. It's they come off a bit cheesy. There's a lot of projection screen work and you can tell the difference between what's real, what's not. When it works, it works fantastically. It's wonderful. When it doesn't, it's not great. But as much as I like Brad Fidel's theme and the iconic nature of the thumping, the heartbeat of the theme in this movie, some of the music is a bit cheesy. And I'm not sure it's a fair criticism, but we certainly know now that Cameron likes to show off his technological prowess and expertise in the realm of special effects. My opinion would be now, like if he had held back with some of the effects in this film, it could have been even more uh, streamlined, maybe understated, definitely more effective. But it was the times. I can't really fault him for that. I mean, he's this is some pretty fun stuff that he was playing with, and he just was putting it out there. So I watch it now, and the effects are a little bit distracting. Not just the projection screen moments, but probably most notably Schwarzenegger's makeup. It's the mask, the fake head that they came up with, you know, with uh, when he's replacing or taking his eye out and such like that. But still, it's still pretty cool, to be honest. (laughs) It's not enough to detract from my appreciation and love for the film. Overall, I love the action. I love the concept, the imagination. It's a film that always inspired me as a creative. It's a world I love to escape to. Cameron is a huge inspiration for me. I mean, this and all of his other films, but this one will always be special for me. So watching today, it's technically flawed in areas, but I I forgive it. I I still return to it time and time again, like I said. Uh, How about some initial thoughts from you, Bill Bant? Yeah, initial thoughts from me. The first thing was, I was surprised doing the research. I had never seen the teaser trailer for this movie before. Mm. And I watched it today and... There's a lot of shots in that trailer of the future Terminator when Reese has that, call it flash forward or or memory, when he's in their bunker and the Terminator comes in and starts shooting everyone up. They did a lot of clips from that. And they were doing a lot. It was like a still painting of Schwarzenegger. And they were still selling that Schwarzenegger was in the movie, but I don't know how many people really knew who Schwarzenegger was outside of being, you know, Mr. Olympia and didn't really do that much in the way of movies. So I thought that was kind of interesting. My first initial thought is I wish I could watch this movie, like having my mind wiped and watching this again for the first time, because going into this movie, if you don't know anything about it, it's almost 40 minutes until they start explaining things to you because you see the future, you see it's 2029. Right. And then they have, this prologue and it says uh, the machines rose from the ashes of the nuclear fire. Their war to exterminate mankind has raged for decades, but the final battle would not be fought in the future. It would be fought here in our present tonight. And then it goes to the appearance of Schwarzenegger coming out of nowhere, buck naked. And he runs across the punks, takes their clothes. They're like, all right, what's up with this guy? And then we cut to Reese coming out of, who knows where? And he's naked too. And like you said, he steals a homeless man's pants and the police are chasing him and he gets away and he, and he steals a car. And then all of a sudden we go back to the Terminator or Schwarzenegger. We don't know it's the Terminator at this point. And he's buying all these guns and now he's a phone book and he's going through all these, this Sarah Connor names. And then we meet a girl named Sarah Connor and we see that Reese is trying to track down Sarah Connor. So you don't, you don't really know what's going on. And it's not until they all meet in the tech noir scene, which is about 38 minutes into the movie. Yeah. That everything comes together. You have that action piece. And then Reese is now explaining everything to Sarah as they get away. 
And it's like, whoa, this is crazy that they've sent something in the future to the past to rearrange the future. And at that point, too, like the action never stops. It slows down for a little bit just so you can get some information and then just goes, 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 goes. The Terminator, once it now knows who Sarah Connor is, it just doesn't stop for the rest of the movie. So now you have almost an hour straight of action. Mm-hmm. So I would just love just to see all that again for the first time because it's just so mind-blowing how it just goes from second to like fifth gear in a matter of seconds. And just the fact that it's, it's a mystery and you're just trying to figure out as it goes along. It's just, why is this guy killing all these women with the same name? What is that all about? Who is this other guy that's following Sarah Connor? Is he good? Is he bad? What's his deal? But the fact that we know all this, watching this over and over again, but it's still so fun to watch. But I just like, oh man, I would just love to be able to just rewatch this for the first time and knew absolutely nothing about this movie whatsoever. Nothing. I mean, when I when I did see, yeah, you knew Schwarzenegger was a Terminator and he's trying to kill this girl, but I don't even know that. And just to see what my reaction would be to watch this for the first time. And I was going to get this a later in the show, but I'll talk about it now. This is the first of many Terminator films. And in all honesty, if there's one to watch, this is the one I'm going to go to. I mean, Terminator 2 is technically a better made film. But if I'm popping in a Terminator movie, it's this one nine times out of ten. And the tenth time will be the second one. It's just a joy to watch. I just love it. This movie goes by so fast. Yeah. Uh, which is such a, it's such a great thing. And because we haven't even mentioned Stan Winston yet. Right. And that T-800 model that they made. Yep. It's just amazing. That's just amazing work. I mean, that's something we certainly never saw before. And uh, just even watching it today and just trying to watch like, all right, how do they do the movement and stuff and how do they make this all work? To me, it's, it's still just a blast. Great commentary, Bill. Great thoughts. I agree with everything wholeheartedly, especially when you were saying that you would go back to this nine times out of 10 if you had to choose a Terminator film from the franchise to watch. I couldn't agree more. This is it for me. I understand the love for T2 Judgment Day. We'll get into that again a little bit later. A million percent. It's a wonderful film. Yeah, exactly. But this movie, this is the first. It's the beginning. This is the one that really captures the tone and feel for what, in my opinion, I want the Terminator world to be. And man, great, great commentary about the fact that if you didn't know anything about this movie at all and you went in blind for the first time, Yes, you would understand there's a sci-fi aspect because two of the protagonists appear in light storms and they appear naked out of thin air. So clearly something is special about these characters. They seem otherworldly even, but they're from a different time. But we don't really even know that. We just don't know anything. We just know these two men are going after, I mean, we just know that. Schwarzenegger's character is this menacing, hulking figure that is ruthless and just mowing through people and on a murderous rampage. Just cold-blooded murderer, which is frightening. And then we have Reese, who honestly comes off dirty, greasy, and creepy. So who are these? You are absolutely right. So when we get, it's funny because you just led it all right up to that first scene, Club Tech Noir, and I'm just going to give it right away right now. That's my first favorite scene. But I was thinking about it when I was writing some notes down for the scene as I was just going over the lead up to the scene. I was like, oh, yeah, we really don't know 
who these characters are, that being the Terminator and Kyle Reese, we don't even know what they're called, what their names are, and what their objectives are. We just have to watch the action unfold. And it's a little scary and unnerving and off-putting. And then the club tech noir scene happens. But I will take it back just a bit. We know that Arnold Schwarzenegger has appeared out of thin air and he is on the prowl. As Bill mentioned, he approaches a few punks, takes their clothes, murders one of them by uh, just in a brutal fashion. And for whatever reason, he's being systematic and for some reason going through the phone book and going down the list of women named Sarah Connor. And at this point in the story now, he's killed two women named Sarah Connor already. And we also know that another man has appeared out of thin air in a lightning storm and also looking for Sarah Connor or is following her. And as the audience, we've been following a young Sarah Connor played by Linda Hamilton. And she's this young waitress working at Big Jeff's. Think of like Bob's big boy. She's just trying to get by. Just a young girl, just trying to pay the bills, living in an apartment with her roommate, Ginger. And uh, when this young Sarah Connor is out enjoying pizza, she learns from a news broadcast on a TV at the bar that two other women by the same name have been murdered in cold blood. She calls her roommate at home who doesn't answer. And then she leaves and sees this shady stranger who's following her. That's Kyle Reese, as we learn later, but that's Michael Bean. And... She ducks into a nightclub to kind of get away from that creepy dude. And that nightclub is called Tech Noir. And once she's inside, she calls the police, but gets the machine there. They're not even picking up because I'm sure their lines are busy because they've been broadcasting this news about these murders and people are probably tying up the phone lines. Regardless, she sits tight at a table while a lot of nightclub goers are doing their 80s dancing all around her, which is wonderful. So 80s, it's the best in the 80s music in the background. Meanwhile, Schwarzenegger has been tracking Sarah Connors, and he goes to the next Sarah Connor on the list in the phone book, and that's the young Sarah Connor we as an audience have been following. And he goes to her apartment, but we know that Sarah has been out and she's at Club Tech Noir, but instead, her roommate Ginger and her boyfriend are home, and the Terminator goes into Sarah's home to find Ginger and the boyfriend and proceeds to murder them both. In the meantime, he finds Sarah's phone book, address book, and then at the phone rings and he hears a message from Sarah, who's at Tech Noir, and she's saying over the, the answering machine, she's like, hey, Ginger, I'm at the nightclub, Tech Noir. Come pick me up. I think somebody's following me and I'm scared. So now the Terminator hearing that message knows exactly where she is. Not good. So cut back to Sarah sitting at a table in this busy nightclub. And this is just what it just doesn't get any better. This is just one of my favorite just scenes of all time, because now we know that this other creepy guy, Michael Bean, who is sitting at the bar, staring at her from a distance. She looks up, she sees him looking at her and he, she's just completely creeped out, even though it's a busy public place. This is this guy who's been following her and she doesn't happen to notice that Schwarzenegger has shown up. The Terminator is now at Tech Noir seeking her out. This is his prey. And also, he does know, I believe, what she looks like. I forgot how he figured that out. The Terminator does know. He sees a picture of her at the apartment. Right. 
So he's going amongst the crowd, finally locates Sarah and approaches her, pulls out the log slide gun with the laser sighting, puts the, the laser sighting right on her forehead. And this is all happening in slow motion, which is just great. And it's really good use of slow motion. It doesn't come off cheesy at all. It's just really dramatic, very intense, because we have this Terminator now facing his prey. He's got her dead to rights, dead in his sights, the laser sighting on her forehead. She looks up, knows, oh my God, I am about to get killed. And at the very last second, we get the wonderful loud shotgun blast from Kyle Reese. Kyle comes to save the day, comes to her rescue, and starts blowing holes in the Terminator with his shotgun. Uh, So we know now, now it's like starting to come together. This is just the moment where the picture is just starting to form, where we know this creepy guy that's been following, Sarah, is actually there to save her, to protect her, because he's putting shotgun blasts into the Terminator. So Schwarzenegger just goes flying backward, and it just turns into an enormous gunfight in the middle of this club, and chaos ensues. It's completely hectic and chaotic as people are getting shot left and right. Schwarzenegger pulls out his Uzi and just starts blowing away the bar. Bottles are crashing and breaking everywhere. Sarah's freaking out. Kyle uh, continues to put holes in the Terminator and he goes down, but he keeps getting up. And Sarah witnesses this. She's like watching this behemoth that's been trying to kill, that's trying to kill her, but he just won't go down. And eventually there's just a great moment when Kyle Reese, after Schwarzenegger's gotten up, puts another couple of shotgun blasts into the Terminator, just blowing him back through the the glass window, the front to the club. And of course, he reaches down in another iconic line here. He reaches down to take Sarah's hand and says, come with me if you want to live. And that is great because there's a great callback in T2 to that. But it's Again, it's flipped where it's the Terminator saying that. But anyway, in this film, it's Kyle Reese. It's Michael Bean saying, come with me if you want to live. And we're off. And then after that, it just goes right into an enormous car chase sequence. And we got the Terminator jumping on the hood of the car and putting his fist through the windshield. And it just goes and goes and goes and it's nonstop. And we understand that the Terminator will never stop. But once there is an actual pause in the action, we get some great exposition from Michael B. and his Kyle Reese, and he handles the lines really well to tell Sarah that basically this uh, cyborg from the future has or has been sent from the future to kill her because she's going to give birth to the leader of the resistance one day. And she is obviously in disbelief. But anyway, the whole setup or to that or the, the scene that kicks off the real action is the tech noir scene. Take it from there, Bill Bant. Yeah, I had the tech noir scene also in one of my favorite scenes. Some of the things I just loved about it were after Sarah does call her roommate Ginger, she eventually gets a hold of the police. And the police are like, look, we've been looking for you. Stay where you are in public. You'll be safe, which you would think would usually make sense. But we're dealing with the Terminator here. So it doesn't matter where the hell she is. She's in deep shit. The things I love about the scene is the slow motion that you were talking about. And when he's pointing the gun at her and just the look on her, she's in such shock. She can't move. And she sees the sight is literally going up her face into the forehead. And you're like, oh, boy. And then Reese is able to move the patrons out of the way and shoot Schwarzenegger. And you're going, oh, okay, done. He's dead. 
and they just do a shot of his hand and you just see it twitch and he just sits up like nothing happened you're like holy crap and then he starts trying to blow him away again and i love when people crash through storefront windows yeah i was like if i die that's the way i want to go i just want to get blasted through a storefront window i don't know why (laughs) very weird but it happens again and nothing again he just gets right up and just starts giving chase at least at this point you know like okay so reese is the good guy and right the germinator is the bad guy so now we have that and they chase him into the back alley and they're running after him and reese blows up a car and the terminator just runs right through it dives on the hood of the car they're trying to get in punches through the windshield just trying to grab connor even though reese is right there he's like he doesn't care he doesn't care his one mission is to kill this woman and nothing's going to stop him and now it's a big chase from here on out I'm a big fan of this scene. Yeah, the whole slow motion sequence really is the crux of it for me in this particular scene. It's really a great, great buildup. Again, Linda Hamilton being the deer in the headlights when she's looking right up at the Terminator when that laser is on her forehead. But also, it's just like, will Reese get to her in time in order to save her? And a credit to Schwarzenegger again, because there is a wonderful shot after he crashes through the window uh, after being shot by Kyle Reese, and he's lying on his back. The camera is pointed through the broken window, and you can see that he's lying down. But instead of getting up like a normal human being like rolling over onto your side and pushing up on your hands and stuff. He literally just sits up perfectly. Like Frankenstein. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Very mechanical. So it's well-directed, well-acted by Schwarzenegger in that moment. And it's a great shot because that's like you said, Bill, where you're like, holy shit, this guy is riddled with bullets and he is just fine. He's just going to get up like nothing happened. It's uh, very effective. Good stuff right there. So I had that down as my second favorite scene. So my first favorite scene, I'm just going to call it Reese has a little uh, PTSD. And it's our first Reese flash forward. Right. And at this point, you don't know who Reese is and you don't know what is going on. So Reese ends up uh, hot wiring a station wagon by a construction site. And he's kind of watching one of the construction. I think it's like a hoe or something Mm -hmm. doing its work. And he has this flash forward where now it's into the future and we see the the hunters going around looking and we see reese is dressed like like a soldier and he's running around all the ruins of los angeles and he comes across this other soldier who's a woman and there's this huge tank that's coming down and they throw these grenades at it and the tanker runs over one of them and then the girl goes to throw one and it hits the side of the tanker, and the tanker notices where the throw is coming from. It turns and just evaporates her, just blows her to dust. Oh, yeah. You know, Reese is distraught that this has happened, but his grenade goes off and blows up the tanker, and then he starts running off. And now we have this uh, ship now that has tracked Reese and is now following him, and he jumps into this car which has got a gun on the back of it. And now this this car, this is just battered old car that they've somehow repurposed that actually moves, is now going down, I would even say it's a road. It's just driving over rubble. And they're just trying to shoot down this ship. The ship is trying to shoot the car. And it ends up where the ship hits the car. And the car flips over. And it does an interior shot in the car. And you have Reese in there. 
and he starts you see the car's about to go up in flames and you see that he starts screaming and that's the only voice you hear in this whole scene it's it's like maybe a two and a half minute clip of supposedly what's going on in the future at this point you're not sure what's going on and he starts screaming so you're kind of did he just die here was this his death he was watching what what was that was this real is he just having a dream what's going Mm on and then he snaps too because he hears the sound of the construction again and it jolts him awake and then he just turns the car over and just drives off so that was kind of cool because it's just a cool setup of this version of what the future is going to be like but you're not really sure yet if it really is the future until reese says hey i am from the future i just thought it was kind of a cool scene how it just kind of works in there it kind of just teases you like this is what could possibly happen or this is is going to happen regardless even if reese protects sarah because Mm -hmm. things have gone in motion at this point so we just have to make sure that reese can protect sarah because her son is going to be the leader and he's going to help end all this there's no dialogue in this scene whatsoever it's just really cool set pieces sound effects some good models blowing up yeah i like it this could have easily been one of my favorite scenes no question about it great points all around it's a vision of the future. It's a dark vision of the future. Now, we're a little bit familiar with it because they did establish it briefly in the very opening of the film when we see these hunter-killer HKs of these machines that are automated machines that are flying around shooting their laser weapons at these grunts running around. We actually don't see any grunts in the opening sequence. We just see these machines rolling over skulls, but we know that the machines have taken over. So then we revisit this dystopian future when Kyle has fallen asleep in this car. He's hotwired. And you're right, Bill. I didn't even realize this. It's just funny. You know, like, again, if you didn't know what was going on, you'd be like, okay, is this a nightmare that he's having? Did this really happen? Is it a dream? Is it, you know, this, that, the other thing? Or is this a memory? Is he having a flashback of something that actually happens in the future? So it's fascinating to wrap your mind around. But then just the way the future is created and the landscape And I do love the special effects in these particular sequences. It's realistic. I love the miniatures. I love the design of these spacecraft machines and these rolling tanks. And they're huge. And the scope is right. The scale is very cool. And when you see Kyle and his female partner running through this debris of what used to be Los Angeles, and when you're right, Matt, when... She gets blown to pieces. I'll never forget that. That hit me as a kid watching. I was like, oh, crap, not good. And that just is like, oh, these uh, machines are deadly accurate in pinpoint, and you could just get killed at any moment. And it made me think, too, is that there's aspects of this movie that are a war film. It's very much you know a military sci-fi film. And you get a lot more of this in Aliens, which actually also, you know, also stars Michael Biehn, of course. So here, it's great to see Michael Biehn doing his thing. And man, when he hops on that, the resistance car, the vehicle, and he gets into the driver's seat and the other guy takes the position of gunner on top, up through the sunroof of this beat up car, as you mentioned, and that thing is cruising, hauling ass over the ground. And I'm like, I always watch that guy who's on the gun going, he's getting whipped around like a rag doll. I'm like, that dude must have broken his back. And then the car flips over. You're like, okay, that guy's dead. And Kyle has been trapped in the car and the fire is approaching him. You're like, oh, not good. And that's when he wakes up from the memory. But 
uh, and he's in present day or our present day in 1984, Los Angeles in that car that he's hotwired. But when you see later on, when he's bare chested, he has his shirt off, he's covered in scars. Some of them could be laser blasts, could be burn scars, but you have an understanding of like, this guy's been through the ringer. It's great. Like you said, Bill, like it's just this first 40 minutes, we don't really know who they are. It's just a lot of, instead of dialogue, it's show, don't tell. It's a lot of character establishment through solid visuals that lead you down this path and you get these little crumbs as to who these characters are, where they've been and what they've seen. It's really smart storytelling. Great scene, Bill. Thank you. What do you got for your second favorite scene? I'm going to stick with Kyle Reese. And this is uh, after the club tech noir scene. I'm calling this the Reese interrogation. And this is now, we understand that Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor have been on this long car chase and also just constantly trying to evade the Terminator. Schwarzenegger's been on their tail. And after the Technoir scene, they momentarily lose the Terminator and they go into a parking garage. And that's when Kyle unloads a huge amount of explanation, a huge reveal on Sarah Connor saying that she is the mother of this unborn child that will be known as John Connor, that will be the leader of the resistance, basically shut down the machines that are trying to take over the world in the future. So she's like, what? You're telling me there's a cyborg or a cybernetic mechanic killing machine coming after me that looks like a human? You're giving me all this stuff? I don't believe you. And he's like, you better believe it because this thing will not stop. This is in correlation to the the quote I opened with is like, it will not stop until you are dead. So after that whole little conversation or big conversation in the parking lot, the Terminator does find them. They continue to go on a car chase. He's chasing them. And basically they get cornered. Kyle manages to put another shotgun blast basically into the side of the face of the Terminator. The Terminator crashes his police car that he's commandeered, and Kyle and Sarah manage to stop their vehicle, but the cops are hot on all of their tails. Now they are cornered by the police. The Terminator, Schwarzenegger, has escaped, nowhere to be found, but the cops get a hold of Reese and Sarah, and they're taken to the LAPD police station, and they bring in criminal psychologist Dr. Peter Silberman to help interrogate Reese as to just what the hell is going on. And I'm sure they think that he is the killer, but he's trying to explain that he is there to protect Sarah. And I freaking love this writing because it's a lot of sci-fi, like hard sci-fi, techno babble, but it just works. And it works because of the dynamic between Reese and Dr. Silberman, because Dr. Silberman is fascinated by this quote-unquote story this that Reese is telling, but we know that Reese is telling the truth, and he's so passionate about it. I love Michael Bean's performance in this as he's sitting in this chair, handcuffed, and coming off basically delusional. He's called a loon at one point by Dr. Silberman, but Silberman is just like, this guy tells a really good story, and Kyle is telling him about the future, about how uh, the fact that this Skynet had taken over and how this time displacement equipment worked, that the Terminator had been sent back. And then he followed 
and that only living tissue can go through, not metal. And Silverman has these questions for him. Basically, Kyle says uh, at the end of this particular sequence, they blew up the time displacement equipment after he went through so that he can't go home. He can't go home and nobody else can go through. So he's stuck there. He says, it's just me and him. And cuts back to, uh, we see our cops, we see Paul Winfield and Lance Henriksen as they're watching this interrogation on the monitor, which is great, alongside Sarah, who doesn't know what to believe at this point. She knows that this Terminator is some sort of incredible machine or whatever. But I like the fact, too, that you have the cops going, well, see this, he could have been wearing this Kevlar vest. He could have taken these bullets. She's like, well, what about him punching through the windshield? And Lance Henriksen says, well, yeah, he's probably hopped up on PCP. Lance Henriksen's really funny. He keeps trying to tell these stories throughout, and Paul Winfield just keeps cutting him off. Anywho, cuts back to the interrogation scene between Kyle Reese and Dr. Silverman. And this is my favorite part, because Kyle is getting frustrated with having to explain every little detail to Silverman, knowing that time is of the essence, that the Terminator is on their tail. He could be showing up at any moment. And they're just wasting time. And it gets to the point toward the end of this particular scene when Kyle finally says, why am I talking to you? Who's an authority here? And Silverman's about to interject when Kyle responds, just shut up. You still don't get it, do you? He'll find her. That's what he does. That's all he does. You can't stop him. He'll wait through you, reach down her throat and pull her fucking heart out. And the way that Michael Bean delivers that line is so desperate and exasperated, and he's at his limit. And basically, the point of view here is that they're watching this interrogation on tape, and they pause it at the moment when Kyle freaks out there at the end. It establishes the stakes here. He's really trying to implore, implore upon them that this Terminator is the worst thing you could possibly imagine. You had better believe me or you're all going to die and she's going to die and the future is then set and it's all over. So it's just a wonderful performance by Michael Bean that just really sets the stakes properly here. And you're frustrated for him. It's well, well performed, well directed. Yeah, I'd like it. It's very intense. And you're getting exposition at the same time. Yeah. You're understanding more. Okay, so this is how they got here. And why is it just the two of them? Why is there a army of Terminators that came through or an army of the resistance that came through to protect Sarah? So it's all making sense. And I think that's what I like about this movie too, is while you're watching it and you're hearing this, you're thinking to yourself, okay, this kind of makes sense. All right. And you believe it. You know, after the movie's over and then you really think about it, then your brain starts to hurt. But in the course of the movie, it really works. And the fact that he's telling a story that's so outrageous, it must be believable, but no one believes it. Yeah, it's unbelievable to believe that someone came from the future. But at the same time, man, there's so much detail in the story. If someone's crazy, how are they really making all this up? And sure enough, another scene later, it happens and what he says comes to fruition. I love the fact that you brought there's some great exposition in this scene because what it does is it explains to us the audience as to how a lot of the mechanics work in the story itself, how the time displacement machine worked, how they got there. It just solidifies the suspension of disbelief. It gives us enough detail to go, oh, this could actually happen. Yeah, I buy it now. 
every time I watch the scene, I put myself in the shoes of Kyle Reese and of the actor, Michael Bean as well, because I'm sitting there, how do I explain this without coming off crazy and sane? And they even say, I mean, he's just, it has to be so delusional to have a story with so much detail that he actually has convinced himself that it's real. But we know it's real and he knows it's real and he knows they don't think it's real. But he still has to somehow express the fact that danger is imminent. And I absolutely love when they pause the tape at the end and the look on Kyle Reese's face. Because he now really does come off as crazy at the end because he's screaming at the top of his lungs. But I remember watching this for the first time, the scene, and being even scared of him. I was actually scared of him at that point. He's off the hinge here. He's uh, going to be, he's about to lose it. He'll lose his mind. Again, high stakes. Anyway, what's your next favorite scene and or moment? Okay. I can't believe I'm actually passing over the police shoot-up station scene. So we we apologize, audience, if we don't get to it. But it is an iconic scene. But I'm going all the way to the end. It's the it's not over scene. So after the Terminator finds Sarah at the police station, shoots it all up, Kyle and Sarah get away. They go to a hotel, try to lay low. But unfortunately, the Terminator is still able to track them down, and they're off to the races again. And the Terminator's chasing them in a motorcycle, and they're able to knock him off the road. And huge semi gas tanker runs the Terminator over, but the Terminator is able to withstand the hit, and he gets up and pulls the driver out of the car. And now he's chasing them in the tanker. And we have Sarah's driving this truck. The truck flips over and you're like, oh, they're dead meat. But Reese, being a soldier in this resistance, has learned how to make bombs out of makeshift material. And he blows up the tanker and we see the Terminator come out of the tanker. He's on fire and then he falls and you're like, that's it. They blew him up. Ta-da, finished. Sarah and Reese embrace and you're like, all right, nice ending. Nope, not at all. All that did was just burn off the skin and flesh of the T-800, and now we see it in its true form. This thing does not stop. Yep. So Reese is pretty injured at this point, so Sarah has to take charge, and she grabs Reese and basically drags him into a factory. And they go into the factory, and the Terminator's now chasing them, and they're able to lock themselves into the factory briefly and Reese realizes with all the mechanicals, it's almost like a um, assembly line. And I think it's, it almost seems like it's a computer parts by the looks of some of the technology or the mechanics in there. So he turns everything on and he says, this will help scramble the Terminator's tracking. So he turns it on. He basically faints at that point because he's either lost a lot of blood or he's just in so much pain. And Sarah has to grab him and start screaming. He's like, get up, soldier. We got to get moving. And she's able to pick him up and drag off. And as soon as that happens, the Terminator then busts into this factory. And now Sarah and Reese are on the outskirts trying to find a place to hide. And when Sarah's trying to crawl through, she accidentally hits a button to like a press machine. And turning it on alerts the Terminator. So the Terminator now tracks them down and... Reese is like, just get out of here. I'll I'll deal with this. And he finds this huge metal pipe and they start walking up on like this catwalk area. And Reese is taking the pipe and trying to 
literally knock off the Terminator's head. He's just swinging as hard as he can. He's just hitting the Terminator in the head and it's not doing anything. And the Terminator pushes him away. But luckily, Reese still has another of these pipe bombs. And he takes the bomb and sticks it into the Terminator's, um, or in his waist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like his waist, chassis, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And the bomb goes off and blows the Terminator to smithereens. Okay. Blew it up. Terminator's done. End of story. Way to go. At this point, Sarah has actually taken shrapnel in the leg from the Terminator from the blast. And she can't walk. But she crawls over to Reese. And that's when she sees that he's dead. But all of a sudden, the upper torso of the T-800 is still intact. And is now still after Sarah. Holy crap, this thing has no legs. Has an arm. It's missing a hand. And is crawling, literally crawls over Reese's dead body to go after Sarah. And since Sarah can't get up, she's crawling away from the Terminator. And they can crawl in this conveyor belt. And she follows the conveyor belt down. And then she notices the press that she had pushed the button to earlier. So she crawls through the press. And now the Terminator crawls into the press after her. And she turns closes the gate to the press and it stops the Terminator momentarily, but he's able to punch his way through the bars and is trying to grab her by the neck and choke her. And Sarah's pushing herself as far back as she can so it doesn't get a grab on her. And at the same time, she's trying to use her other arm to find the button to start the press. And luckily she does and she hits the press and she just does this great line with your Terminator fucker. And the press just comes down and just starts squeezing the Terminator. And, but at the same time, like the Terminator's got Sarah's shirt and is still holding on to it. And then eventually you just see the eye of the Terminator, this, this red eye, and you start to just see it start flicker, fade, and then go out. Finally, finally, this thing is dead and gone. The fact that it comes back in this form and just looks so freaking cool. This nice silver metallic robot endoskeleton or exoskeleton is it endo or exo that's funny i was gonna get into that i actually looked it up and it is endoskeleton it's the internal structure versus exo because i mistakenly said exoskeleton but yeah i mean stan winton stan winston's uh terminator endoskeleton is iconic it's an amazing design yeah it's great i mean it's it's stop motion but it's still a lot of fun the sound design this scene is just amazing oh yeah awesome yeah it's frightening it's scary it turns into a full-on monster movie at the end it is mike myers just stalking the prey you have that classic monster he's just moving so slowly you know but he's still still approaching and he's around every corner that being the, the terminator endoskeleton and it is ladies and gentlemen for any reason if you don't know what we're talking about just google it or it's basically a metallic skeleton, and it's really creepy. You see this, the teeth. It looks like a skeleton, but made out of metal that is basically impervious and outside of being blown up by a nitroglycerin pipe bomb. But the red glowing eyes are amazing. Oh, yeah. There are so many moments through this wonderful finale, and I'm glad you chose this as your favorite scene here because, I mean, you're right. It's a relentless action sequence from... 
the trucks and the shootouts and the chases and the explosions are wonderful. I mean, it's a lot, a lot going on, a lot of choreography. So in the in the midst of this, there's a big character moment too, uh, and it's part of Sarah Connor's arc in this film. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really important because Sarah throughout is, like I said in the beginning, just an innocent waitress who's young and just trying to live her life. And then all of this falls in her lap and she learns that she's going to become this hardened woman and that trains her son to be the leader of this resistance in the future and that she would be an extremely capable woman who is extremely well-trained in the ways of military tactics and war. So she doesn't believe any of it for a second. She doesn't believe in herself. She doesn't believe she's capable of it. And when it comes to this finale, and she's been through hell trying to fight off this Terminator with Kyle Reese, well, in the midst of this car chase that leads up to this whole finale, Kyle ends up taking a bullet. And they do manage to get to this factory eventually. And Kyle is is basically bleeding out and he keeps falling over and he's very faint. And eventually we see Sarah now realizing in a moment that she has to take over. She has to lead. And she knows the only way Kyle will react to her because he's lying down as if he's just giving up. He's like, go, go, you need to run. She finally says, no, get up, soldier, get on your feet. We have to move. We've got to move, you know, and you see the strength in her. You see her shine in that moment. It's like, ah, that's the Sarah Connor that will be. That is who she is going to become. It's an important character moment there that comes out, and it's smart that it happens at that point. But yeah, I mean, the endoskeleton showing up, you know, some of the effects work, some of them don't, but the stop motion is fun. But man, some of the close-ups, especially when the the endoskeleton is smashing into the door to get into the factory, is really scary. Anytime it turns its head, where it's you know it's it's a practical effect. They built that model, and it is one hundred percent real. It is awesome. It's like oh man, that's so cool. But you're right. This is the whole point: is that this machine will not stop until Sarah is dead. Even when he's been blown in half, and he's just crawling through that hydraulic press. What a great device for the end of this sequence because it's extremely claustrophobic. Every time Sarah Connor crawls through that thing, I was like, no, 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 I wouldn't climb through that thing. Are you kidding me? Something that could possibly smash me. And eventually she uses it to smash the Terminator. What a cool final shot. Like that's the length you have to go to, to kill a Terminator and to see the red glowing eye finally die out. And that arm just still outreached, though. What a great moment is that that Terminator is dead finally, but that arm that's reached out to choke her, that metallic arm is still on her, and she's like creeped out by it. She kind of has to crawl out from underneath it, the hand that's still on her. There's so much detail on it. It's And you're tired by the end of it in a good way. You're like, yes. man, she's like Bruce Willis at the end of Die Hard. She's been put through the ringer, so... A tremendous action sequence, ton of choreography, and uh, just well, well crafted. All right, you have anything else for scenes or moments? You know, I just one moment I'm going to call out again is again the vision of the future, these this dystopian future. Reese has uh, it's another flash forward, as Bill was correctly saying, 
um, when he's trying to console Sarah at one point uh, in the film, just by talking to her and telling her what the future is like, as bleak as it may be. There's a great moment because we see him going down. uh, Now this is military Kyle Reese in the future with his fellow soldiers going down into a bunker. And we see what life is like for the survivors, the human survivors. And you think of dystopian future sci-fi films, and usually there's a trash can fire of some kind. But in this particular instance, there's a, a child you think she's watching or he is watching TV but it's just a fire inside of a hollowed out television set. It's just a horrific way to live. But basically we see Kyle in this bunker and he pulls out the photograph of Sarah Connor, whom he has uh, fallen in love with just from this photo. And we know this later on, but uh, regardless, there are people coming into the bunker and a Terminator is in disguise and he comes in with like this repeater laser blaster. Basically, it's a minigun, but a laser blaster. And he just unloads on everybody in the bunker and is just taking everybody out, almost taking out Kyle Reese. And in an explosion, Kyle falls and is not killed, but he falls down and incapacitated for a moment. And we see that photo of Sarah Connor burning up. And at the same time, there's this slow motion shot of the Terminator silhouetted and you just see the red glowing eyes, even though he's still in has the human skin. It's just really well timed. It's a really cool moment. I just love that sequence. And a shout out to Franco Colombo, the bodybuilder who plays the Terminator in that sequence. So you get another another vision of a different Terminator in this flash forward sequence of the future. So just wanted to give a shout out to that moment and scene. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. One of the few almost turns out to be one of the few comedic moments of the movie is Terminators hold himself up in an apartment complex and he'll go there to get repairs. He has his guns there. And after his first run in with Kyle, he's pretty uh, beat up and you see, you see the Terminator sitting on the bed and he's got flies on him and you can see all this flesh that's been removed. And there's a gentleman outside the apartment door and it could be the landlord. It could be the janitor. And he knocks and you hear him go, hey, buddy, you got a dead cat in there or what? Then we go to Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, and it's the computer screen like is processing. And we see it has these whole bunch of answers and the answers go, yes, no, or what? Go away. Please come back later. Fuck you, asshole. And fuck you. And it literally highlights, fuck you, asshole. And then the Terminator just goes, fuck you, asshole. And it shows the landlord janitor and he just starts to walk away. And I just always found that moment hilarious. Just the fact oh, that. Yeah, it's a great moment. I thought it was one of the funniest things as a kid. See that too. Swear words were funny as a kid. And especially in that moment that he chooses that expression to say to the landlord. It's, it's, it's great. And ladies and gentlemen, we know that this is a classic film chock full of uh, wonderful scenes. Bill had mentioned there's the shootout at the police station which is incredible, but it is the Terminator basically murdering a lot of police officers, but it is an incredible action sequence and well choreographed. And that whole sequence, of course, starts with uh, Schwarzenegger crashing through the police station. Well, I should say right before that moment is when he has his iconic line, I'll be back. And we know that's huge. And sometimes we, we don't feel the need to go over scenes that are well-discussed and picked apart uh, and analyzed over the years. So maybe by mistake sometimes, but we assume most people 
know that scene well. So we kind of, we talk about some of the other scenes. Just want to say that. So yeah, there's supposedly 30 police officers in there. Right. 17 die. We find out in Terminator 2 that 17 of them are dead and the rest get pretty much maimed and are no match for the Terminator. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All right, so this brings us to our Swiss cheese and complaint department. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have bullet holes. Yes, if it doesn't have those bullet holes, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. All right, Jason, so what do you have for Swiss cheese or complaint departments? I'm going to start with this by saying we understand there is a time travel aspect to this movie. So you can poke holes in it anytime we're dealing with a movie that has something to do with time travel. Uh, So I'm not even going to touch that at this moment. I will bring something up if we have time later regarding that. But I'm going to move on to this, my first complaint, which was the scene at the Tiki Motel when Kyle and Sarah have temporarily evaded the Terminator. And we have Sarah calling her mom, whom is supposedly holed up in a cabin in Big Bear. And I was watching this going, wait a minute, Kyle has been so thorough and detailed in his description and explanation of the situation of who the Terminator is and what's happening currently. And clearly he's committed to the protection of Sarah, but somehow forgot to tell her not to make any phone calls. Why is Sarah at this point in the film, knowing what she knows, taking that kind of risk? So that was a complaint of mine. But then funny enough, I'm not aware if you were able to watch the deleted scenes from the Terminator, which Honestly, I had never seen before I, to this point. I'm such a huge fan of this film. I'm just ashamed to say I'd not seen these deleted scenes. And there is a deleted scene that sort of explains why she makes the phone call. I mean, regardless, there was a different scene where she goes to a phone booth and calls her mother and says, I know I'm not supposed to make any phone calls or I was told not to make any phone calls, which makes more sense. Um, and it's an entire sequence where she approaches Kyle and says, hey, listen, we need to go to Cyberdyne Systems and take this whole thing out at the source. If we take out Cyberdyne, then none of the future happens. The machines don't ever take over and you don't have to worry about, because I don't want to be looking over my shoulder the whole my whole life in case Terminator's coming after me. And he says, well, that's not my mission. My mission is just to take out the Terminator and or protect you. And the fact of the matter is, they cut the scene, of course. This is a deleted scene. And thank goodness, it's funny because if you watch the deleted scene with James Cameron's commentary, he's actually says he's glad that they had cut the scene because that became the nucleus for T2. That's the entire storyline for Terminator 2 is that they go to Cyberdyne Systems to take it out in order to prevent what happens in the future. So I went down this rabbit hole because I had this complaint about Sarah calling her mother from the hotel room going, that's dumb. The Terminator somehow is going to track this. But there is a reason why that ended up there. And there's a scene that's missing 
and that scene was deleted for a good reason. But I recommend to anyone watching uh, to to watch the deleted scene, especially with Cameron's commentary. He's just he's a one intelligent filmmaker, and he has good reasons for making the choices he makes. So complaint and compliment at the same time, Bill Bant. There you go. Wow, this is going to sound uh, like a broken record because I initially wrote down for this was cheesy complaint. It's just time travel, and if we just got into it, it would just melt your brain because just trying to figure out this whole time loop. It, this is just repeating over and over again. Mm-hmm. We'll never figure it out. You know, this movie just proves that time travel is not possible because it would just just totally screw everything up. So right. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But then, yeah, my big complaint was why the hell would Sarah call her mom? And it just happens to call at the same time the Terminator decides, oh, I should go to Sarah's mom's house right. and kill her and see if I can find some evidence of where Sarah would be. It's just a little plausible there. It is, and it's a little convenient. Yes. Right, because the Terminator, yes, has Sarah Connor's address and phone book. So he knows, okay, I'm going to go to her relatives. I'm going to go to the mom in Big Bear Cabin. So he goes there to look for evidence, and just so happens at the same time, Sarah Connor decides to call the Big Bear Cabin, and he the Terminator picks up the phone and mimics the mother's voice. And there's some cool aspects to it, but yeah, it didn't all totally make sense. Right. It's a little weak. I mean, you have to do it in order to move the story because Terminator needs to find out where they are. But when you think about it, you're like, eh, a little weak sauce. Yeah. And that's all I kind of had just because of the time travel thing. (laughs) Like that that could literally have been a 25-minute conversation if we wanted it to be. But I think anyone listening to this would have... 1500 other theories different from what we were thinking but yeah there's an always an element with time travel that just like wait what is this what doesn't that what does that mean i have some small complaints i'll run through real quickly i i just thought the love scene is a little cheesy it's not greatly executed i agree with that too it's tough michael bean has to deliver the line i came across time for you sarah i love you i always have it's hard he does the best he can with it We need the love connection between Kyle and Sarah to happen in the way that this story is told in order for her then to give birth to John Connor, which, of course, ends up being Kyle Reese's son, which, again, then you're like, wait, what? Then the whole time travel thing, that's what happens as you start going, wait, then what is that? How does it all initially start? Yeah, that's what that's right. Which is my big question at the end, which if we have time, maybe we won't. I'll get to my additional thoughts. Uh, When Sarah Connor smashes the the remaining part of the Terminator inside the hydraulic press at the end, we see the electric lightning bolts like emit from the endoskeleton, which is still holding on to Sarah. And I'm like, wouldn't that electrocute her? Wouldn't she get kind of get shocked by that? A nice little jolt. Uh, Yeah, maybe. But, uh, you know, nitpicky, nitpicky. And then Sarah is driving in the desert at the very end of the film, speaking into a tape recorder. And I'm like, why the hell does she have a giant gun revolver in her lap? I understand her being prepared, but it was just like, she has the dog with her, which is a nice touch because we do learn in the film that the dogs can sense Terminators and they'll go off and bark like crazy. But she just has this gun in her lap. And I was like, I think... She's okay out there, but I get it. She's just, I guess, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking. She's just being prepared. Yeah, we could just keep it rolling. We'll we'll get into more, I'm sure, here in the coming segments. But what's next, Bill Bant? 
It's, hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's, hey, it's an actor. This week, we choose Brian Thompson. He's credited as Punk. He is one of the three punks in the beginning of the film that are approached by a naked Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Brian Thompson, as this punk, the third punk I'm calling him, uh, he does manage to stab Schwarzenegger with a switchblade, but then is punched through the stomach. Not just in the stomach, he's punched through the stomach and killed and just dropped to the floor. Dead. Blood everywhere. It's pretty gross and it's pretty awesome. Brian Thompson is a tall muscular character actor with a unique tough guy look mainly known for playing menacing bad guys and or thugs as for his 80s career i actually do remember seeing him in an episode of knight rider from 1985 where he plays the role of kurt but i mainly know brian thompson as the night slasher from cobra in 1986 he's really ominous and creepy in that movie he is credited as german's other friend in The Three Amigos, also from 1986. He also had roles in Alienation, Fright Night Part Two, and Three Fugitives. Outside of the 1980s, my favorite role of his was when he played a shapeshifter in some of my favorite episodes of The X-Files from 1995 to 2000. He's credited as Alien Bounty Hunter. He's got a ton of credits, including appearances on the Star Trek television shows, many other popular episodic TV shows. He's still working today at age 63. Brian Thompson is our Hey, It's That Actor for this week. And Bill Ban, I actually saw him at the Black Cow Cafe years ago when I was waiting tables and was too intimidated to even talk to him. Wow. Is that the second time you saw a Hey, It's That Actor at the Black Cow? Yeah, you know, I saw him and uh, gosh, you know who else I saw at the Black Cow? I've seen um, Tom Wilson from Back to the Future. Right. And I've also seen uh, one of my favorites, whom I did, well, uh, William Fickner, one of my favorite character actors, but also uh, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, Michael Rooker. Thank you. God. Yeah. He used to come in a lot, too. Anywho, yeah, Brian Thompson had come in at one point, and I was like, I served a couple dishes to him, and you know, he mumbled a few things, but I didn't really get a sense of who he was or anything and didn't talk to him. He just, he's an intimidating-looking fella. Yes. So let's move on to facts and trivia. This We could do a whole hour on just facts and trivia. We'll try not to, but yeah, facts and trivia. What do you, what do you got, Jason? What are some highlights that you've found on the Terminator? Yeah, you know, I, I'm going with the greatest hits here, personally. In Rome, Italy, during the release of Piranha 2, The Spawning from 1982, director Cameron fell ill and had a dream about a metallic torso holding kitchen knives dragging itself from an explosion. Inspired by director John Carpenter, who had made the slasher film Halloween on a low budget, Cameron used his dream as a launching pad to write a slasher-style film. Cameron's agent disliked the early concept of the horror film and requested that he work on something else. And after that, Cameron dismissed his agent. But uh, yeah, a little bit of the beginnings of where the idea for The Terminator came from. Yeah, so uh, in 2008, The Terminator was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. Well deserved. The initial outline of the script involved two Terminators being sent to the past. The first was similar to the Terminator in the film, while the second was made of liquid metal and could not be destroyed with conventional weaponry. 
Cameron felt the technology of the time was unable to create the liquid Terminator and shelved the idea until the appearance of the T-1000 character in Terminator 2 Judgment Day in 1991. This I found interesting. I had no clue about this. So in the Terminator, Sarah Connor is supposed to be 18, 19 years old, Mm. and Kyle Reese is supposed to be 21. In real life, both of them during filming were 27. Ah, yeah. I was like, what? She's supposed to be 18? Yeah. Uh, This is fun. You can relate to this, Bill. While shooting this film, James Cameron often resorted to what he called guerrilla filmmaking, guerrilla filmmaking, as a way of getting around acquiring permits needed to film certain scenes. This involved the production crew and actors quickly arriving at a specified location, shooting the scene and leaving before police arrived. As a result, some of the people seen in a few shots are actual everyday citizens completely unaware they're in a movie. This was also used for reshoots with Cameron even calling and waking Arnold Schwarzenegger once at 3 a.m. to meet him at a location already in full costume to quickly reshoot a scene. Cameron also used this tactic to film the very last scene where Sarah drives off into the desert, waiting for the heat to rise to the point that ripples could be filmed. A highway patrolman appeared, and producer Gail Ann Hurd convinced him they were working on a UCLA film project, and he allowed them to finish guerrilla filmmaking. We had to do that ourselves with one of our film projects. And our backup excuse was if we got caught by the police that that was supposed to be a student project we were working on. That's right. Everything worked out okay for us. Yep. Very lucky. Schwarzenegger's time on screen in The Terminator is only 21 minutes, and he actually has less lines in this movie than he had in Conan the Barbarian. So in Conan, he had about 24 lines. In this, he had 14 of the Terminator lines, and then he had additional lines portraying other people in the film like the police officer or sarah's mom yeah uh love it man love it this is fun uh the initial draft for the movie was sold to gail and Hurd, james cameron's production partner and former collaborator at new world pictures for the price of only one dollar the symbolic gesture came with a blood oath Hurd had to promise to do everything in her power to get the film produced but with cameron as director she kept her word and dismissed every studio that showed interest but wanted to ditch Cameron. He and Hurd would get romantically involved during production of this movie. Uh, They made Aliens and The Abyss together and were married from 85 to 89. Um, I usually don't do a lot of facts about casting and stuff, but this one intrigued me. I hope it's true. I thought this was interesting. Jennifer Jason Leigh was seriously considered for the role of Sarah Connor, but... James Cameron feared she was too young for the part, so she was later recast as Ginger, but unfortunately had to be replaced at the last minute by Bess Moda. Huh. That's cool, man. I th- She would have been great. Yeah, I thought she would have worked. I think she would have been great. But it's funny, but she would have seemed more closer to the age of Sarah Connor than Linda Hamilton did, so that's just kind of funny. It's like, she's too yeah. young. I'm like, she's playing 18-year-old, 19-year-old, supposedly. And it's interesting that James Cameron ended up marrying producing partner Gail Ann Hurd, but then also ended up marrying Linda Hamilton later on. Two of his five wives. Oh, man. Other casting things. It may or may not be well known that Arnold Schwarzenegger was originally being considered to play the role of Kyle Reese instead of the Terminator. Schwarzenegger then ended up being quite open to the idea of being the Terminator and also knowing that the Terminator was really the center of the story. I've got one last thing that I did not know here, Bill Bant. Did you have any other facts or and or trivia? I just have one last one also. Yeah, go for it. Okay. 
So the tanker truck that explodes at the end of the movie is a model. That actually had me fooled, but watching this time, you could see the fish string pulling it. But uh, So not a real truck. So originally, the explosion was planned to be shot on location, but it was dropped when the crew learned that the building that serves as the exterior, uh, which is the LAPD's Piper Technical Center, and above it, the Hoover helicopter, houses weapon ammunition and could have posed a risk of collateral damage. So the explosion was filmed twice because on the first take, the wire pulling the truck tugged too hard initially, pulling the front axle off and ruining the shot. So then it took them three days to rebuild the truck and then shoot the second take. It's funny too, it's the same kind of model truck that you see Schwarzenegger run over in the very beginning when he kills the first Sarah Connor. Yeah, here's my last one, which I had no idea about. And it was interesting because I saw this end credit right as Sarah Connor is driving her renegade Jeep off into the distance at the end of the film. And there's a title card that comes up that says acknowledgement to the works of Harlan Ellison. I had no idea about this. Science fiction author Harlan Ellison sued James Cameron, claiming that while he hugely enjoyed the film, he felt the story was plagiarized from the two Outer Limits episodes that he had written, namely Soldier from 1964 and Demon with a Glass Hand from 1964. The concept of Skynet could also have been borrowed from an Ellison short story called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. The suit was settled out of court and newer prints of the film acknowledge Ellison. Uh, Obviously, the print I saw because I saw that credit. So Cameron has claimed that this settlement was forced upon him by the producers who refused to support him. He felt that Ellison made invalid and opportunistic claims and wanted the case to go on trial. However, the insurance company told him that he would be held personally responsible for financial damages in the event that he lost the trial. Since he was short on money at the time, Cameron couldn't take the risk, so he had no choice but to accept the settlement, a fact that he has always resented. There you go. Now, but I am interested, like, I'd be interested to see those uh, Harlan Ellison written Outer Limits episodes. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, so time to move on to box office. So The Terminator was released on October 26, 1984 in 1005 theaters. On an estimated budget of under $7 million, it grossed $38.8 million domestically, $40 million internationally, for a worldwide gross of $78.8 million. It debuted number one at the box office here in the United States and held the top spot for an additional week, gaining 5% in ticket sales in its second week of release. The Terminator would stay in the top 10 for an additional six weeks and would be the 22nd highest grossing movie in the United States and the 15th highest grossing movie distributed by Orion Pictures. Moving on to reviews, when growing up in the early 80s, we would watch sneak previews with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming releases. Their review of The Terminator was split. Roger enjoyed the nonstop action and thought it was well acted and directed. Gene thought The Terminator and Reese came from another planet, so I'm not caring that he gave it a thumbs down. Rotten Tomatoes gives a tomato meter score of 100% and has an IMDb rating of 8.1. So that takes us to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions we have about the Terminator? I have this quick one because I realized the whole time, because I was so into the lore of this and obviously a big fan of T2 Judgment Day as well, 
they never actually say T-800 in this film, in the original film. Reese mentions the Cyberdyne Systems Model 101, and then he points out the flaws of the T-600 model, but there's no mention specifically of the T-800. And it turns out that the Systems Model 101 and the T-800 are one and the same. I found this in a little bit of my research. Uh, In the first Terminator film, he, being the Terminator, was mostly called 101, and the model number T-800 was introduced in Terminator 2, but they are actually the same, and without one, the other wouldn't be possible. T-800 is the endoskeleton, and 101 is the skin, and therefore the physical appearance of the model. Oh, okay. Did not know that. Just learned something new in my own podcast. Cool. So we didn't really talk about the big uh, police headquarters shoot-up scene. Right. But I did find this interesting in the research is Schwarzenegger and Cameron had an argument over the line, I'll be back. Absolutely. Where Schwarzenegger didn't think a cyber robot would say a contraction. So he wanted to say, I will be back. And Cameron was like, no, you're going to say, I'll be back. And when I was reading this, I'm thinking of the scene in my head. I mean, this, this might sound blasphemous. But I actually think it would still work and be as iconic if he said it that way. Because what I love about that moment, you know, he comes up to the front desk of the police precinct and it's glassed off and you have the guy behind there and he's doing work and he's barely paying attention to the Terminator. And he asks him, like, I'm here to see Sarah Connor. Can I see Sarah Connor? And he's like, no, you can't. She's making a statement. And then Schwarzenegger, the Terminator kind of takes a step back, looks at the glass to examine like, okay, how can I get through this? And then just the way he kind of leans in and says the line, it's just the way he delivered. It's all, it's all of it that builds up into the line itself is what makes the line so great. Even if he said something else to the fact that he was coming back, I think that just what sells the line. Yeah. I'm not saying change it. It's perfect the way it is, but I think if we had never known that and he just said, I will be back today, we would all still be doing, I will be back, to be honest. Just my take on it, just because just the way the scene plays out, it's almost hilarious the way he just kind of steps back, looks and then starts leaning in and just says, I'll be back. So I I thought that was interesting. I, I had never read that before, but I was like, I think it works either way, but he's the director. He's the writer. That's the way he wants it. And that's fine. I have nothing to issue with it, but would have worked on that one too. I think that's a great point, Bill Bant. And now that you say that, and I kind of hear it or think about it, how it would sound, I have to agree. I think it's really splitting hairs, especially like you said, building up to the moment. And because of Schwarzenegger's particular voice, accent, tone, it would have been a very similar delivery. I mean, you're talking about a split second difference. And I'm sure Cameron thought I will be back is a little bit more concise and sharp and hard hitting maybe or pointed, but I will be back. I mean, it's so close. Mm -hmm. If he would have just said, I will be back, it would have been pretty much just as classic. I mean, that's the whole point is that yeah, he just keeps coming back and he did, Schwarzenegger did, and it turns into the most, one of the most iconic lines that he repeats even outside of the Terminator franchise films, you know. I agree with you, man. I think it's a great point. Great thought. Yeah, like I said, I don't want it changed, so right, you don't right, have to send yeah. angry emails. You know what? If we didn't know any better, we I think we'd be quoting, I will be back. And speaking of iconic lines, here's a thought for you. At one point, Kyle Reese says, pain can be controlled. 
you just disconnected. And I was like, wait, was this the inspiration for Dalton's pain don't hurt line? Could be, could be. I'm just saying, iconic lines here. Hey, here's a question for you. Where do you think Kyle Reese got the money to pay for the hotel and the groceries? You know what? I was thinking about that on the last rewatch because he has like a whole ball full of money. Right. And don't they, they had hitchhiked, right? I mean, they're, they're getting off the, they'd gotten a ride from a trucker or something. They get off and she's like, right. thanks. Like- and then all of a sudden he's got a handful of a wad of cash. And she's like, I don't even want to know where you got that. That's true because yeah. Because they were hitchhiking because they ran out of gas. I'm like, if you had that money, could use that to buy some gas. Right. And I'm thinking, wait, did he steal that from the guy that just gave him a ride? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good theory. I like that one. Is that what we're supposed to think? And was that enough money to pay for the room and all the groceries to to make nitroglycerin pipe bombs? (laughs) That's funny. I've got some other other thoughts and questions. What else you got? Oh, I found this interesting because I, I never knew this, that um, we hear James Cameron's voice throughout this movie. Right. That was his voice on the answering machine that's breaking the date with Sarah Connor. And then we hear him again is the Tiki Room manager. That's his voice there also. Gotcha. Behind the glass, you don't really see Yeah, him. so we yeah. never see him either. I didn't know that part. Okay, cool. That's cool. Speaking of deleted scenes, here's a question for you. This is a great deleted scene. After the finale, when Sarah Connor smashes the Terminator in the hydraulic press, there's a scene that was cut out where an employee at the factory finds the microchip from that Terminator chassis. And we then see he's looking at it and he says, this looks like a microchip, but it's encased in different hardware. And another employee is like, what is, what is that? And he's like, I don't know, but we should analyze it tomorrow morning, first thing. And then it cuts to Sarah Connor being carted off on the gurney. She's injured. And the camera pans up, and we see the company logo on the factory exterior. And it says Cyberdyne Systems. And it's really kind of a cool reveal. I'm like, oh, that's pretty sweet. And of course, we know that this all leads into T2 as well because they had found the microchip and that arm of the Terminator that was remaining and they analyzed it and that led them to develop the technology that led to all hell breaking loose. So my question is, would you have kept that deleted scene in? I think it's pretty cool. It's cool, but it's not needed. Knowing that and you go back and you watch that factory and you see Kyle turns all the stuff on and you see all the devices that are moving around. And you could tell it's for like something that's little. And I'm like, oh yeah, this could be for microchips. But no, I don't think you know because you know at that point you don't know that there was going to be a T2. He's just lucky he got this movie done. Yeah, it would have been cool to have it, but I don't think it was necessary. I agree. It wasn't. It was a little too much. And also the fact that it's too much of a coincidence that the entire action sequence and finale ends up at the Cyberdyne Systems factory. It just seems too coincidental, unless the previous deleted scene I was describing where Sarah says to Kyle, hey, we should go to Cyberdyne Systems and nip this in the bud. If they had kept that scene and then they were actually going to Cyberdyne Systems and that's where the final action set piece takes place, then that might make sense. But if this final scene was added in and you're just like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's coincidental that this factory that it all 
happened at was Cyberdyne Systems. It's a little too coincidental. Yeah. So anyway, check out the deleted scenes. They're all on YouTube. It's fun. Got to ask the obvious. You got a favorite James Cameron film. He's got quite the filmography. Actually, you know, not that many movies. No, he doesn't have that many. It's amazing. Yeah, they're all heavy hitters, you know. So didn't know if there was one that jumps out of you. I mean, this is this is an all timer. So do you have another favorite, or does one uh, take uh, take over the number one spot? I really enjoy is the Abyss, and I wish mm, they would release sure. that on freaking Blu-ray or 4K or something. I need to see that again. Either edition is fine. Yeah, theatrical version or the director's cut. The Abyss is a great film. I love that one. I've revisited that time and time again. For me, it'll it'll be Aliens. That's my my number one Cameron film. Terminator is a close second, but I have a special place for True Lies in my heart. I've always found that movie very entertaining. Just give me some Bill Paxton and Drew, True Lies. How about this, Bill Bant? You got any thoughts on the Terminator franchise as a whole? Are you a fan of we we know? We're, well, let's just put this out there. We're both fans of T two. It's an iconic film. Correct. It changed the industry when it comes to special effects. But how about outside of the first two Terminator films? Any thoughts, feelings about the the remaining, I guess, what, four films, correct? Because after that, we had Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, Terminator Genesis, Terminator Salvation, and Terminator Dark Fate. I actually do like three. I, mm-hmm. I like the way it Me ends. That was just inevitable that no matter what they were trying to do to change the future. It was just going to happen. Right. Yes. It definitely feels different from the other two, but I did like it. One and two are amazing and three's good. I think it's good. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I just pretend the other ones never happened. <laughs> I personally think salvation is a little underrated. I, I liked a lot about that movie. No. And Sam Worthington's in that who would have then later, of course, appear in the avatar films. But, uh, we then get uh, Genesis, which is a hot mess, doesn't even make any sense. I think I've only watched that once all the way through with my dad a long time ago in the theater, actually. And then uh, Dark Fate is is just not a successful film. There were some interesting like ideas behind it. Did you ever see Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles? No, I just figured that was not going to be good. I enjoyed it. I like that show. That's my list of shows to watch when I'm in my 70s. Lena Headey is the star now, of course, of uh, Game of Thrones fame, but she was excellent in it. Brian Austin Green. Does he do two seasons? Yeah, it was short-lived, but I was impressed with what I saw. So anyway, the only other uh, thought and or question I have is time travel related. I don't know if we have time for it. Try to keep it under an hour. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, (laughs) just ask. Just ask. Let's see. (laughs) So the time travel question I have is here. Now, I'm going to pose this. Sarah sits in her renegade Jeep at the end, talking into the tape recorder, leaving a message for her unborn son, John Connor. And she is questioning whether she should say too much about John's father. We know that is Kyle Reese. She's questioning it if it will affect John's judgment to send Kyle back when it comes to that point in the future when John would have to send Kyle back to the past in order to save her once again so that he could be born. I don't know if that's going to make any sense to our listeners, but here's the conundrum. Kyle is now dead. Kyle Reese is dead. And now Sarah knows what's going to happen in the future. And she will train John, her son, as a soldier. 
etc. Thus, the entire timeline has now been changed in so many different ways that John most likely wouldn't be in a similar scenario where he would have to ask Kyle to go back in time. But everything's changed now. So besides the fact that Kyle's actually dead, she says into the tape recorder, if you don't send Kyle, you can never be. But that's not true because John already is. This is where your brain starts. He's about to be born. Right. She's going to give birth. So my theory is that once Kyle goes back in time, he's already now changed the timeline. We have a then it would be a new timeline moving forward from that point. We don't know that. That's where it gets tricky. That's why I'm always like, it's always hard to figure out how does it happen the first time? Exactly. Does it get stuck in a loop? Right. Or does it end up in a circle where it just constantly just does the same thing over and over again? Yeah, that's the question. Because if Kyle, let's say it's the original timeline, John Connor has been born. So Sarah met a man, supposedly, and they then had John Connor. So to me, it's kind of curious as to who was the original father of John Connor. (laughs) Or was it always Kyle Reese? Like you said, is it just an unending cycle and the future is predetermined and we're all in a never-ending loop? It's always Kyle Reese, which just then, like I said, makes your brain melt even more because it's like, wait a second, how does someone from the future come back and impregnate someone from the past? Because you've got to get to that future point. Correct. So everything she does from that moment on is, I guess that's, it's always faded that way. Some people believe in fate. Some people believe in choices. And I think when it comes to movies, when it comes with time travel, it almost seems like it always has to be fate in order for it to happen. And interestingly enough, another iconic line is, from her in the and she actually says this Sarah says this in the deleted scene that I keep bringing up with Kyle Reese she says to him your fate is what you make it and then in T2 she carves that into the table she says I believe no fate is that what she says what she carves in there but anyway uh yeah it's a yeah like you said melt melt your mind yep hey if anybody has any thoughts yeah we will I was just gonna say the same thing send us your theories because the alternate theory would be that there were different timelines, but you don't seem to be to believe in that. No. I mean, I've always had this theory. Maybe there is a way every time you make a different choice, there is a different timeline that you just never have. It's the butterfly effect. Almost in a sense. Yeah. But think about it. Billions of people making billion decisions and how many timelines are there in this world? Mm-hmm. It's just too much and it's just mind blowing. So let's just keep it simple. <laughs> Sun goes up, sun goes down. Right. But it is always fascinating. Yeah. It's fun to think about to a certain point. Yes. Let's move on to our ratings. So on a scale of one to five phased plasma rifles, what do you give the Terminator? I love it. I'm giving this four solid uh, phased plasma rifles. This is the beginning. Uh, the beginning? The beginning. This is just a fantastic science fiction story that intrigues and scares and thrills. It's a wonderful concept. It's just got all kinds of wonderful ideas, no matter how mind-melting they may be. And it's mostly just wonderful execution. It's innovative, inspirational. It has Schwarzenegger in an iconic movie star role with the iconic movie star line. It has Stan Winston's iconic Terminator endoskeletal design. It's got the iconic Brad Fidel heart-thumping score, and it puts 
Cameron on the map and allows him to go on to make some of the biggest and best cinematic creations of our generation and beyond. And The Terminator is still one of my favorite science fiction movies of all time. Definitely still in the top 10 science fiction movies for me of all time. That's it for me, Bill Bant. It's an all-timer classic game changer. How about you, Bill Bant? What's your rating? This is five stars for me. Oh, awesome. It's an iconic movie. Schwarzenegger and Cameron created an iconic character. I love low-budget films that knock it out of the park. That just adds to it. I just love watching this. I mean, you, you put this on, I feel like this movie ends in like five minutes. It just it just goes by so quickly. I'm always picking up something new when I watch it. It's a complicated story, but it comes across as a simple story. And that's just what makes it work for me. It's one of the best movies in the 80s. I love it. Bye for me. This is a must, 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 must 80s watch. Hell yeah. So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening and your feedback and your movie suggestions. Please take the time to follow us on your preferred streaming platform. Give us a review and rate us. If you want to learn more about our show, you can visit us at all80smoviespodcast.com. For our next episode, we'll be beginning our Summer at the Cinema series, and we kick things off with The Great Outdoors, starring John Candy, Dan Aykroyd, and Annette Bedding. You can join us. Have an excellent week, everyone. Thank you, Sarah, for your courage through the dark years. I can't help you with what you must soon face. Except to say that the future is not set. You must be stronger than you imagine you can be. You must survive, or I will never exist. 100 episodes, Bill Bant. We did it. Woohoo! Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. <laughs>